So Money Episode 220, Bill Ravis. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It's Real Estate Wednesday. It's not going to always be Real Estate Wednesday. I just, today, we're going to focus on real estate. It's one of my passions. I know many of you listening love to talk about the housing market. And several weeks ago, my friend Kathy Braddock, who is the managing director of real estate company William Ravis, joined me for an interview. And during our conversation, we learned so many things about how millennials can you know, really uh, do well in the real estate market, what you need to buy a home. And today, I'm continuing that conversation with the founder of William Ravis, Bill Ravis himself. Bill founded William Ravis in one room over a grocery store in a small town in Connecticut in 1974. He borrowed $2,000 to launch his firm, which last year sold more than $8 billion worth of real estate. It is now the largest family-owned real estate company in the Northeast, over 100 offices. Bill was the 1988 recipient of the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, among many others for his achievements in business. He also gives speeches across the country and has been published in numerous financial and real estate publications, including Forbes and Real Estate Today. In our conversation with Bill, I ask him, you know, there's this growing ideology that buying a home is no longer really a secure way to build wealth. What does he think about that? Is it still a part of the American dream? How have intentions perhaps changed over the decades? How would Bill characterize the real estate market today? Are we in a buyer's market or a seller's? And his best advice for first-time buyers in this market in 2015. So without further ado, here is Bill Ravis. Bill Ravis, welcome to the show. A pleasure to have you. Real estate is a very hot topic on So Money. My pleasure being here. Let's start back to how you began this real estate empire. I think is super inspiring for anyone out there looking to start a business. You began William Ravis in a room over a grocery store in Fairfield, Connecticut. You borrowed, I read, $2,000 to launch the firm. (laughs) Now worth billions of dollars of real estate. Take us back to that time in your life. What was going through your mind as you were starting this company? Did you ever believe that it would become the, uh, the the empire that it is today. What was your goal at that point? Well, first of all, I worked for in New York in uh, what was called the Pan Am building, now the MetLife building. And I worked for Westinghouse as a systems analyst there. And I, I actually helped build the international company and the domestic company's technology system and uh, became very successful at it to the point where the company had a big meeting uh President of the company was there, chairman of the board, Don Burnham was there, and everybody was just touting how beautiful this was that they could connect international and domestic trade with our system. And during the entire course of the meeting, not once did they mention my name in the five years that I put into it, seven days a week, along with our 30 programmers. And I said at that time, I said, you know what, 
this is probably not for me. <laughs> I'm just working too hard here. And everybody, <laughs> everybody else is taking the recognition. So I said, what else could I do? My father was a small-time contractor. I love being in the houses, smelling the sawdust and doing all the construction. So I said, why not? I'll try real estate. So I got my real estate license and uh, decided uh, at 27 years old that, well, maybe I'll give it a shot. So myself, a phone and a desk above a grocery store. And it became obvious to me very, very quickly that I could not do this by myself if I wanted to make anything of the company. I needed people around me that were good. So Again, to the lack of recognition from Westinghouse, actually said, you know what, I'm going to make sure I'm going to recognize everybody that works for me. So the agents basically became my customer. So my job was really to build their, their actually their systems, their technology, their marketing, give them the infrastructure and let them be their own entrepreneurs. And so basically that's the foundation of the company is everybody we hire, we look at as independent entrepreneurs, and our job is to help them make, be successful. For those, and, yes. Yeah, and, you know, so I started, uh, what, 41 years ago, and now we have 4,200 people working for us. You've been through a lot of uh, ups and downs in the market. Real estate is, <laughs> and for, for younger audience members, we may only remember the bust and not the booms. Uh, there is a growing ideology, Bill, that buying a home is no longer a secure way to build wealth. Do you, what's your perspective on that? Uh, do you still believe that it's an integral part of the American dream or is it something redefined these days? No, actually your home uh, is a statement of who you are. And it's a big deal still. You know, occasionally you go through these blips where the value goes down, the value goes up. But at the end of the day, if you trace it out uh, over 10 years, you're always ahead of the stock market. So even though we may have, have a slow growth because of the economy presently, it doesn't mean necessarily that's the way it's going to be forever. But at the end of the day, is the statement of who you are, where your kids go to school, and and everything about you is your home. So whether, in fact, it, the appreciation is going up 20%, 5%, 2%, it still goes. It, you, you do have your downturns, but everybody powers through it eventually and gets back into the real estate business again. Uh, renting is sending money to somebody else, at least with your own home. You're investing back into your home. But there's a certain, I would say, uh, profile uh, of a, of a, of the right kind of homeowner. If you're somebody who is transient, maybe doesn't have a family, um, doesn't have a lot of uh, income, maybe homeownership isn't right for you today. Maybe it's something to aspire to. No, I don't. I don't buy that. I don't. I mean. If you can own real, for instance, in China, you can't own real estate. The state does. And most of the world, basically, it's a land lease. I mean, there are very few countries in, in the world that you can own real property. The reason why the Chinese are coming here and buying up real estate, and years before that, Japanese, because the home ownership process does not work well around the rest of the world. It does work very well here in the United States. And so my my point is get into the game. I mean, Buy a small condo uh, with the interest rates are so low right now, it's cheaper than renting. So are we in a buyer's market? And, and what's going to happen when, say, rates are expected to go up later this year? Uh, how will that change the market? 
Well, we're throughout the Northeast. We're in nine states throughout the Northeast, and the supply right now is very low. I mean, usually supply uh, houses, if it's six months, six months supply, meaning it takes six months to sell a house, usually that's a good market. Well, in some markets, that's a good market. If it's at nine months, it's it's a slower market. Right now, in most markets, we're under six months, and, and some we're at three months, two weeks. I mean, the market is very, very good right now. It's turned dramatically within the last year. You don't see that in the newspapers. You don't read it. I'm in the field. I see it. As someone who's in the trenches, in the field, when you look at a piece of property, what makes you think to yourself, this is a steal or this is a value relative to price? What are you looking for? Well, the beautiful thing now is it's all on the internet. And what you look at is very, very simple. It's price per square foot. And so, therefore, if you have a house that's a thousand dollars in New York City, say uh, New York City's twenty five hundred dollars a square foot, if you're buying at twenty two hundred square dollars a square foot, you're buying right. If you're buying at three thousand square, foot, you're buying high. So you look at this square foot prices. It's a really good check on whether you're getting a value in the in 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 the, in the uh, whether it be the co-op condo or house that you're buying. Demand has something to do with it too, right? I, I, for example, live in a condo in Brooklyn. I'm converting my two-bedroom into a three-bedroom. Very, very hot. Very hot. You're telling me. Um, If I was to go solely on price per square foot as now as a seller of this three-bedroom that I'm I'm constructing, um, I, I think it would be a great deal for anybody. But I also have to recognize that when you look for three bedrooms in my neighborhood, there's about nine <laughs> pieces correct. of property that show up. So I'm hoping that's going to work to my advantage when it goes to sell. Well, what you do is you look at the ones that are, that are in your marketplace. You look at this price per square foot. It gives you an indication. It's going up and up and up and up because it, there's no inventory. And so therefore, you may be underpricing your particular property. Uh, you should be looking at the future Pricing. By the way, on our website, we have a forecasting tool. So we're, we have a logarithms that can forecast the future prices of the units that you're buying. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, the things are just really terrific now. So there's a lot of tools out there that are just different than they used to with it. Look in the newspaper, you see a house and you go look at it and the realtor shows it. You have no other data. The data is all online. It's, it's a beautiful thing. If you were starting. When you have have forecasting tools, it's, it's terrific. Like, we're for, we you go on our site yourself, put your own house in. Go on Ravis dot com. He says, "What is my house worth?" It's right on the front page, and we'll tell you what your house is worth. So don't go to Trulia or well, Zillow. They have an, yeah, they have an accurate data. Say, so I have all I have all the multiple listing data. They get it from their different sources. They they gave us sort of the pathway on how to do this, but their data is wrong. Hmm. Interesting, Bill. If you had to start your business today. Uh, how would you do things differently now that you have you know decades of experience? You can look back and think, oh, maybe I wouldn't have taken this opportunity. I would have skipped this. I would have skipped that. What would you do differently this this, this in well, 2015? I don't think I could start a business today in the real estate business. It just takes too much money. It takes too much infrastructure, too much technology. The world has changed on us. And there are very big players now. So therefore, there's a lot of capital in this business, a lot of money in this business. Uh, because the technology is really changing the entire scope of it. So for me to go start today, it'd be very difficult, mainly and almost impossible. 
Do you see any opportunities within the real estate market? Maybe it's not a, a broker agency, but it's something else, a website, a tool, uh, a way well, to... Well, yeah, that's that's the key. You see, some of these uh, on our website, basically what's happening now is the marketing of houses has changed. And you used to just come into an office, you know, and wait, wait for a phone call to come in and you go show somebody a house. Well, in today's world, you got this, you got digital marketing now. You've got yourself technology. So therefore you're, you're redirecting your, your marketing dollars to retarget customers, uh, that may have been on your site that maybe have gone looked on whether the, uh, the weather channel, uh, site and therefore your, your ad pops up because they've been on your site. So therefore you say, Oh, by the way, did you see this house? You forgot to look at this house. You've been looking at a million dollars. We just got a new one. And it pops up on your cell phone. You have digital, you have actually digital fencing around houses. So therefore, if you're doing an open house and somebody's been on your site, uh, if they were within, say, a mile of that house, that open house, it'll appear on their phone. Say, by the way, do you know that there's an open house in this, in this particular neighborhood that you live in? I mean, the thing has just changed tremendously. Let's so, re- so. Marketing and technology basically is the foundation of real estate now. I'd love to transition, Bill, now to some of my financial questions. I ask all of my guests on the show, from Tony Robbins to Margaret Cho to now Bill Ravis, starting with your financial philosophy, perhaps as it pertains to real estate. If you had one, what is it? You deal in cash. So when you take all your risks, you make sure you've got enough cash available to take the risk. And we were, you know, we have 110 offices. We got 4,200 people working for us, and we're growing. And I'm actually, we'll be opening an office in Florida uh, in, in two months. And but you don't take these risks anymore with, unless you've got enough cash to sustain the risk. For instance, we opened an office in New York City, and that's a slow roast. We're the first company ever that came out other cities to open up the company in the city. So it's a slow roast. And so therefore you've got to spend some time and capital to get through the marketplace. So cash is king more so than leverage leverage. You can get some problems. You can get some problems. You can get some problems with, and I've done that and I've been in those problems. I'm never going to do that again. So cash is really, you're taking your risk, make sure you got the cash to take the risk. I like that. Uh, speaking as the man who borrowed $2,000 to launch his firm, I, that's probably not the kind of risk that you're talking about, but. Um. No, I'm talking, well, then, you know, I was, <laughs> that, then is, that was easy. Now today is harder because you really, it, 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 everything is just turned into technology and marketing. And therefore you've got to take some, and so therefore you've got to reinvest a lot. You have, your infrastructure has got to be very, very, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a heavy infrastructure investment. So when you go into another, you, when you go into like New York City, we went into, you know, it's, it's millions of dollars and you just got to make sure you're not leveraging yourself that you're using your own dough. What was your exposure to real estate and money growing up, Bill? I ask my guests all the time, you know, what's a pivotal financial experience that you had growing up that really shaped the way that you behave with money today or even, you know, within your industry, look at real estate. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, I really thought about that when I was looking at that. So let me just think about that. And the first thing that popped in my mind was when I was a newsboy, the newspaper, 
guy. I used to deliver newspapers to, to people's houses in the in the, in the uh, neighborhood. The thing we also did too is we collected a newspaper and went to the local scrap metal place and got a dollar for every hundred pounds that we uh, would, that we would collect back. And I remember going and I, I remember knocking on doors and I re- and one day there was this lady said, oh yeah, I have some loose newspapers that I've been saving down in the basement. You can have them all. Well, it was the entire basement, and I made about fifty dollars from. <laughs> taking her newspaper nice. and bring it. And the thing that I learned is we lock more doors you knock down, more newspapers you can get from their houses and deliver to the scrap metal and more money you would make. So prospecting was really very, very early in my career. And I figured, I figured out the more I touched people, the more influence I had within the community, within the neighborhood, the better the opportunities I had in terms of making money. And there began your entrepreneurial That's correct. Pursuits. It's all about prospecting. <laughs> your spheres of influence, the people you know. What's a failure that you uh, experienced along the way, that you, a stumbling point as you were building your, your business? Well, what I did was, Angie's List, I'm sure you're familiar with that, where they do all the services around the house you call contractors. Sure. Well, I... I uh, along with the private equity firms, uh, raised $40 million to sell services online around the house, whether it be utilities, telephones, roofers, gardeners, ex- electricians, etc. So when you bought a house, you have an online component that you can go search for these other things. And uh, we built, I built up a software company, which I took out of my real estate company and got $40 million from private equity to build this thing on a national basis, which we did. And uh, I had something about 250 customer, uh, 250 companies, real estate companies, along with several thousand agents on the system. And the private equity guys kept on telling me, ramp this up thing up faster, do it faster. Well, usually I build companies over a slow roast. Well, they want it in and out in three years. Well, what happens? We spent $40 million in three years. They eventually sold. But you know what? The company that I was uh, using for the technology, they owned, and they uploaded that company to another company called CMGI and made $800 million doing that. And so, therefore, I was looking for my third tranche after the forty million, and they said, "Well, you know, we're 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 finished." So, basically, the company went broke, but they made nine hundred dollars, nine hundred million dollars. And so, so, that was an interesting mm-hmm. lesson on financial engineering. They used our company to support another company that they had that they uploaded, and meanwhile, to reinvest back into the company that we had, which really was of interest to them. Hmm. I learned a lot on that one. Also a learning lesson in who to trust, sounds like. Well, it was in this. You know what? If probably if I were the financial, if I were the private equity guys, I probably would have done the same thing. Because it was all about money. It had nothing about survivability of anybody's company. And they pushed me real hard to do something in three years, what I probably would have done in 10 years. And as a result of that, lost lost that company, which I was out. The real estate company would have had no effect but I had a separate company that basically went went bankrupt. Let's flip it and talk about success, Bill. Your body of work, your your decades of experience in 
business uh, experience in real estate is uh, accomplishment speaks for itself. But if there was a moment along the years, throughout the years that you felt was a bit of a pinnacle, a financial pinnacle for you, what was it? And take us there. I don't know if I can ever say there was a moment for a financial pinnacle. The moment was that really made this company and still makes this company is that I, re, that I view the people that work for me as my customer. And my job is to help them succeed. And if I help them succeed, I succeed. That is the cultural, that is culturally embedded within this company. And so therefore the financial success is always there is you had to come up with a cultural philosophy that ensured your financial success. And so there's not one moment, it's just that moment. And so what you do is you keep on pushing that model. You know, right now we have 115 offices, 4,200 people, and that model still exists from the day I was above a grocery store. And that, so it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. There's no like big home runs that I've hit. No, it's these small little singles for 41 years. And so throughout the years, there have been some pretty good habits, I suspect, that you've incorporated into your practice. In your financial life, what's your number one money habit? I look at my cash all the time because I had worked out, see, in the late 80s, which was a very, very difficult time for the real estate business. Trump went broke. I mean, there were a lot of folks that were going down that were in the real estate business. I had to go. I owned shopping centers besides having a real estate company, and those shopping centers were killing me. I had to go through workouts with banks. So therefore, I was borrowing a lot of money. And like my accountant said to me at one time, he says, you think you borrow money and it's your money. you got to go pay it back. I said, okay, that's a lesson I had to learn back in the 80s. So therefore, learning the lesson that leverage can hurt you and you've got to deal with banks it's something that I'll never forget. So therefore, our leverage is minimal now, and cash is really part of our scenario. If we've got enough cash, we're doing it. If we don't have enough cash, we're not doing it. Even though I have credit lines because we have a mortgage company of $300 million, but we use the credit lines properly. And so, But our cash is always, always we're always... One eye, I always sleep with one eye on my cash <laughs> to make sure it's always there. Well, even as a home buyer, I know, you know, that when you go in with cash, that gets you a lot of leverage. Leverage, yes. What would yes. be your number one bit of advice for a first-time home buyer? Maybe it's a mistake that you see happen too often that you'd like to address or uh, something that is related to the current marketplace and how... Well, Young yeah, young buyers can it can take advantage of it. Yeah, first of all, don't most of the times don't use your friends to buy a house, and most of the people in the real estate business aren't well suited for the real estate business. I'm not and I'm not saying anything negatively. A lot of folks just don't spend the time at really understanding the business. So therefore, if you're going to get somebody to represent you, either buyer or seller interview people, interview two or three people and understand who they are because the people that represent you who basically either help you succeed or fail. That's the piece of advice. So make sure the people you're associated with know what they're doing. Yes. Any red flags that the person you're working with is not the right person for you? Ask them what square 
prices for a house and they say they don't know, then that's a very good sign that they don't know. They don't even know the basics, right? That's correct. So, so if you look, so you, there's a lot of, see, everything's on the internet now. You can actually do a lot of homework on the internet by yourself. And if somebody is not as informed as you are, because you're doing your homework, it's not some, somebody you want to be associated with. But the good ones are out there. So just uh, yes, you got to interview them. You mm-hmm. just got to you just got to see how well informed they are, because you should be informed yourself. You should be getting on these uh, on on Ravens.com would be an example. We have all the data there about all the houses, all the communities. Everything's there, and so do some homework first before you hire. Somebody. This is the section of the interview, Bill, where we do some fill in the blanks. And I sent you the fill in the blanks ahead of time, but uh, hoping you'll we'll have some fun yep. with this. If I won the lottery tomorrow, unlimited number of dollars, the first thing I would do is? Well, I spend it on myself, that's for sure. <laughs> You're the first person to ever say that. Well, I I often get, well, I get a, I give it to my I family, know, I'd buy a house, so this, that. You'd spend it on yourself, good for you. Yeah, so that'd be first. And, and uh, I've got it anyway. I can, I'm doing it anyway, so I don't need to hit the lottery. But, uh, yeah, why not enjoy your life, enjoy yourself and and your family, of course, too. And then if you get a certain uh, cancer research is a big deal for us. My, my wife has leukemia, so we've been very involved with cancer research. And uh, so that would be first on us, second on our family, and then third on some sort of organization that you really enjoy uh, being associated with. Excellent. The one thing I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Um, my wife. <laughs> your wife or your life? My wife. Your wife. Happy wife, like happy spend, life. I, I like to make her uh, spend my, she makes my life. She's a nurturer. I love her very much. And, you know, she, there's really nothing she can ask for that I wouldn't. Oh, get. Wow. Must be nice married to Bill Ravis. Hey, well, maybe it's nice being married to Candy Ravis. Oh, well, that's a wonderful, wonderful answer. One the of truth, my, by the way, yeah, I try. I believe you. Uh, here's the next one. My biggest splurge, my biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is. You know, I was thinking about that one. I don't have any. I won't do anything that makes me feel guilty. <laughs> well, perhaps I should rephrase uh, something that you indulge in. I like cars. Okay. Okay, so I have four Bentleys. <laughs> because one can never have enough. Because <laughs> why would you have two when you can have four? Okay. Um, are they all different colors? What's the? Yeah, they're, they're all unique. Colors, different makes, that kind of stuff. All right. See, I knew you had a good answer. Yeah. Uh, when I was growing up, I wish I had known this about money. Well, if you're going to borrow, you got to pay it back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you mentioned that. That was a hard lesson for you, wasn't it? Yes, that was a tough one. Yes, sir. I always thought, well, that's my my accountant, Walter, says, you thought the bank's money was your cash flow. I was like, it's not. <laughs> it's their money. You got to yeah. pay it back. Believe it or not, that's still something that uh, doesn't click for a lot of young borrowers, oh, first-time yeah, borrowers. Deal. They are it's like, wait, deal. yeah, I just I have to pay this back on time? Yes, you do. Or they come after you. When I donate, I like to give to blank because. Well, I give we uh, David Runyon's a cancer research fund that gives one hundred percent of the money to uh, budding scientists. That's that's our cause. So yes, cancer research is a big deal for us. And last but not least, I'm Bill Ravis. I'm so money 
because? I don't understand that one. So, so money, it's a catchphrase and really it, it can be any, it's, it doesn't have a single definition. We like to say on the show that it means that you're, um, doing great things with money. You're financially fit. It's another way to say you're financially fit or you're, uh, you're very accomplished or you're, you know, life is good. So anything that equates to that, you know, I'm so money because perhaps I'm, you know, doing this podcast and I get to connect with so many amazing, smart people every day and learn. Well, the, the, the thing that I like is that I have, we have a family business and I have the ability because of the financial resources of, of the company to pass this to the next generation and for them to pass it to their generation. So we have a vision. I've always had a vision when I was 27 years old to make sure that this could be a family company and that my kids could pass it to their kids. So we're building something that is important for all the Ravis family. There's 11 of us. So, wow. so it's, it's an important thing that it's, it's passed on and we have the financial resources to do that and to uh, make everybody uh, secure while they're, you know, while they're working here. It's a wonderful story, a great American slice of life story, Bill. Thank you for spending time with us and sharing your insights and your uh, advice. We have well, a lot read of- my book. Yeah, read my book, The Way of the Entrepreneur is coming out in September. Go to Amazon. Just put William Ravis in there and it'll give you the 41 year history of this company. Thank you so yeah. much, Bill. We will check that out, The Way of the Entrepreneur. Uh, we'll have that on the website and Thanks. good luck to you. Thanks. Enjoy. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Bill Ravis, his website, ravis.com. And he's on Twitter at William Ravis. All this information at somoneypodcast.com, where you can also find the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. As a reminder, Bill's book, The Way of the Entrepreneur, comes out in September. And if you'd like to connect with me, either through the show or one-on-one, here's how to do it. First, if you'd like to connect with me and send me a question to be answered on the show, you can go on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and submit your question there. Every weekend, I answer your money questions. Then if you'd like to connect with me one-on-one for a free 15-minute money session, I can't give away too many of these, but every week I do give away one to a lucky listener. And the way to qualify is to hop on iTunes and leave a review for this show. And once you do that, stay tuned for the Saturday episode where I pick one new reviewer and that person and I will have a 15-minute money blitz for free. So if you're interested in that, I hope you'll do it. Thank you in advance. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Money.